Today is the, the fourth message in our sermon series called The One and Others, Experiencing God Together. And after the Christmas season, we will be studying the book of Ephesians together. Uh, this One Another sermon series is a way of introducing us and preparing us for this wonderful letter that Paul writes to the, the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, uh, Paul tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And if the church is so important to Christ, so much so that he was willing to die for her, then it needs to be important to us, especially for those who, who claim to be Christians. And at New Life Church, we strive to be a, a biblical church. We are striving to be a church that honors and glorifies our Redeemer King. And a church is a group of Christians who meet together regularly and who have covenanted to each other to be, to be the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of the church. We are the, we are the body. And as we have already seen in the, the book of Acts, the, the early church spends its time in engaging in the pursuit of the Lord through, through singing, which we've already looked at, um, through prayer, through the reading of the Word, and through the teaching of the Scriptures and the Lord's Supper. They were what, what I would call a biblical community. And that means that they had certain characteristics such as being deeply involved in the lives of one another. They were, they were really doing life together. And that's what we want to pursue as, as, a, as a church. We desire to be a biblical community where we do life together together. Um, and I hope and pray that you have been blessed by this series so far and challenged in your thinking and your application of these, these one another's. So please stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 3. Out of respect for God's Word, we will be reading from verse 1 to 16. The portion of my sermon, the text, is from verse 12 to 16, but um, we will be reading the context from verse 1 to 16 this afternoon. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Please pray with me. Lord, we ask for your help today. Thank you for the songs that have reminded us of truth. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together, encourage each other by singing these words of life to each other, by reading your word to each other, by praying your word to each other. I pray now, Lord, as the word is preached, that you would help us, Lord, to hear, that you would help us to understand, and that your spirit, Lord, would help us to apply this wonderful truth, Lord, that you have prepared for us. So we ask for your help now. I pray for your help as I preach. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, today's topic is found in verse 13 that we've just read there, bearing with one another. And when I think of this term to bear with, someone I oftentimes do not have the Sometimes I often do not have the biblical point of view in mind. You know, I think from a, a young age, we, we taught that the idea of bearing with someone is similar to, to the phrase, uh, grinning and bearing it. And this expresses the idea that there is someone or, or something that we have to deal with that we, that we don't particularly like. So we put on a fake smile and, and we just deal with it. Just this week, my daughter introduced me to seaweed wafers, and she was very excited and very enthusiastic by this new product that she was enjoying, and she wanted to share with me her joy, and she offered me this, this wafer that I had to put into my mouth, and I had to chew, and from, from the smell alone, I knew that this was going to be an occasion that I needed to grin and bear with it. But this passage today calls us to a higher standard than just bearing and grinning and bearing with it. A higher standard when we are dealing with people that God has called us to do life together with. In the Colossian context here in this letter, this command is placed right alongside the command to forgive one, forgive one another. And while they are related, the, the two commands are, are not exactly the same. And in this study, I want to focus primarily on the command to, to bear with one another. We must begin by unpacking what that command actually is. And the instruction that Paul gives is for, for Christians to be actively bearing with one another, as we see there in verse 13. But what does it mean to bear with one another? Well, let me give you a few definitions. The Christian Standard Bible translates the phrase as accepting one another, while the New American Standard Bible opts for showing tolerance for one another. The Greek term literally means to hold oneself against, which um, figuratively speaking means to put up with, just to put up with somebody. 
Um, the Baker exegetical commentary on the New Testament defines it as to put up with something annoying or harmful. Another Bible scholar suggests that it means to have patience with in regard to the weakness of someone. And these definitions are important, and I wanted you to hear these definitions because they show that the, the term is not the same as forgiving one another. Even though the terms are related, it's not the same. The distinction is important. Forgiving one another has to do with actual sinful offenses, while bearing with, not, with one another has to do with, with differences between Christians that are not necessarily sinful. And the command is not to, not to shrug off sin or just to sweep sin under the carpet, but to, to lovingly tolerate differences of, of personalities, differences of perspective, differences of conviction, differences of interpretation between you and your, your fellow church members. So my first point this afternoon is found, we see in verse 12, the reason for the command. Look at verse 12 with me in your Bibles. Verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So Paul specifically states the reason that this command must be obeyed. Because Christians are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We see that in verse 12. This glorious truth that we, are, that we are in Christ, it should empower us and give us reason to, to bear with one another. And bearing with one another is, is a rare trait in the age in which we, we live. You, know, you think of the different marriages that maybe you are familiar with, spouses who refuse to bear with one another, and, and as a result, the divorce rate just increases and increases. Women are unwilling to, to bear with the discomfort and the, the inconvenience of pregnancy and, and childbirth, and so the abortion rates increase and increase. And church members will not bear with one another, and so what happens as a result is that Christians hop from, from one church to another church rather than settling down and showing tolerance for one another. And there is a sense in which this refusal to accept one another is, is understandable among unbelievers. But those who are in Christ, those who are part of the family of God, have both the reason and the power to obey this instruction. You must bear with others as a, as a Christian because you are commanded, number one, to do so. And you can do so because Jesus Christ, who himself put up with, with others, he sets us the example and provides the power for us to do this. Remember the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with, with Peter, James, and John. And while these three were we're beholding the, the, the glorious vision of, of Moses and Elijah that were communing with, with Christ. Their, their fellow apostles were, were battling unsuccessfully with, with a demon at the, the foot of the, the mountain. And when Jesus came down the mountain with his three friends, the, the father of the, the demonized boy ran to him, remember, begging him to help his son. 
And Jesus replied, he said, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? And yet he did not throw up his hands in, 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 in exasperation and remove himself from the situation. Instead, he says to this man in, in Matthew chapter 17, bring him here to me. And then in verse 14 to 21, he tells us, the gospel writer in Matthew tells us, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. And Jesus, Jesus knew what it was like to be frustrated at, at dealing with the shortcomings of, of others. And if anyone had reason not to bear with others, it was Jesus Christ. But he patiently bore with those who very soon would not bear with him. And if you are a Christian, a professing Christian, you have Christ's righteousness credited to your account. And this means that, that you can obey. You have the power to obey as, as Christ obeyed. Because he's already obeyed the law perfectly. You have the power to do what Paul here instructs. And since you are one of God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, as the, as the, as the, the scriptures call you, you do not have the choice to disobey. You do not have the, the you do not have the choice to, to decide what you want and what you don't want to obey in the Scriptures. We have seen the reason for the command, but next we need to consider who should be the recipients of the command. Look at verse 13, my second point. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Again, Paul is explicit here. He says, bear with one another. Again, contextually, one another means fellow members of the, the local church. This is who Paul is writing to, the Colossian church. Every fellow member in that church must be bearing with each other. It can be easy to bear with those who are, who are like us and whose personalities and habits don't really irritate us, that are similar to us. But it's, it's harder to do, to do this with those who, who really get on our nerves, who, who irritate us, who, who get up your, your nose, those prickly people. But if the person who, who gets up your nose is another, is another Christian, and particularly if he or she is a member of the church, we are under obligation to bear with him, to bear with him or her. We all have our friends in the church, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anything bad about that. Even Jesus had close friends among the 12 disciples. And if we are honest, we probably not just have friends, we have enemies as well. The story is told of a little girl who, after repeatedly wronging her siblings, was, was given an unusual punishment. And since her, her parents thought that she was behaving as if she wanted no part of the family, they, they set a small table for her by herself, just a, a few meters away from the, the family dinner table. And at dinner that night, while the rest of the family gathered around the table for the meal, she sat by herself at her own little table. And after the father had given thanks for the food, she was heard praying on her own. And this is what they heard. Thank you, Lord, for preparing a table for me 
in the presence of my enemies. Well, we probably laugh at that because um, we can understand the sentiment. And you know what it's like to gather for worship with, with those sometimes who we consider our, our enemies. And that is an attitude that, that really shouldn't be something that is common in the church, in our, in our faith family, where, where we are called to both bear with one another and to forgive each other. And if your enemy is, is also a Christian and particularly a member of the church, we need to deal with that. We need to bear with that person. If forgiveness is required, we need to forgive. I know personally of a, of a pastor who kept on being criticized and insulted by a particular family in his own church. And he said to me that in some ways he, he considered this family his, his enemy, his thorn in the flesh. And he told me that when he would walk into the church building, the first thing that he would look for is to see where this, where this family was, was seated. And then he would walk on the complete opposite side of the church so that, so that he would avoid them altogether and he didn't have to have any interaction with them. And he then told me that he realized that, that this brother and sister that he was going to spend eternity with in heaven he needed to get right with them while he was here on the earth. If he cannot get on them with he, them here and bear with them while on this earth, how will he ever enjoy heaven? And if you can relate to the story, the question we need to answer is how do we go about obeying this command to bear with one another? How can we be better at bearing with each other? And thankfully, Paul gives us some steps to ensure that we are able to bear with and forgive one another where forgiveness is needed. So go back to verse 12 there. Let me show you from verse 12. We are told bearing with, another, with one another requires, number one, look at verse 12, a compassionate heart. Bearing with one another, number two, requires kindness. Bearing with one another, number three, involves humility. Bearing with one another involves meekness. And then patience. There's five characteristics there. A compassionate heart probably refers to pity. It probably refers to, to tenderness expressed towards um, the person who is suffering. And the word literally describes that deep feeling you have for, for someone or, or some thing that's really dear to you, that compassionate heart. Kindness speaks of a, of a sweet disposition. And the word describes a kind of, of mellowing. Jesus used it when he, he said that his yoke is, is easy. There was a kindness. Kind people are concerned about the good of their, their neighbor as their own. And then meekness or gentleness, it can also be translated as, speaks of con considerateness. And the concept of restraint is also included here. John MacArthur, he, he defines meekness as Willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. Willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. And those who are, who are meek and who are gentle do not lash out at others who are different to them and who rub them the wrong way. I'm saving humility for the last. Patience, as it is used in the, the New Testament, generally, generally refers to a 
reluctance to, to get back at others, to avenge wrongs that are, are done to yourself, where we are tempted to lash out in, in revenge toward others who wrong us. This, this virtue calls us to patiently tolerate the people who are, are doing the wrong. And then humility. I purposely saved this one for last. And I think all these qualities are characteristics of, of Jesus, but humility especially. Humility especially. And we looked at this quality when we, we studied the book of Philippians together. And please turn with me there with um, two Philippians. It's just one, one, one book back. Um, keep your finger in Colossians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let me remind you of this passage here in verse 5. Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being in the likeness of man. And verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So humility in its own way follows the same, the same descent that Christ took when he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And humility goes, goes low in order to lift others up. Remember, we looked at that. How low would you go? And humility doesn't scheme for how we might lift ourselves up. It is possible. It's very possible. I've discovered to even externally obey the one another's with, with a mind that's really at odds with, with Christ. In other words, to put on, put on a mask and to, and to smile with a very artificial smile and not be right with God at the same time. I'm sure we've all done it at some point. It's possible to greet one another with a smile that, that hides, hides bitterness and anger and, and encourage one another with, with, a, with a heart that's not right with God. In other words, it's possible to turn the one another's into one and only's. We can turn the one another's into one and only's. Instead of looking out for others, we can rather look out for ourselves. Instead of lifting others high, we can want to lift ourselves up high. And humility, however, clothes us with this others-orientated attitude that we, are, that we are trying to understand here in this series. This attitude of Christ. Christ who humbled himself to the point of death. And humility puts on a, a pair of eyeglasses on our soul. Allowing us to see others without the blurring of, of selfishness, which, which always gets in the way. And in a church, in a church that is following Christ, in a church that is filled with the, the Spirit, we all, no matter how tall, should be looking up to each other. We shouldn't be looking down at each other. The battle that we should be fighting is to is to be washing each other's feet to, to see who would do that first. Because we remember how Jesus did the same for us. 
Is it any surprise that these five virtues are demonstrated in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it any surprise? Is it any surprise that we are called to follow Christ's example? As a general statement, I'm sure we would all agree that, that we are called to live lives of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, because that's what Christians do. But notice here, notice here, back in Colossians, we are called to display those qualities in bearing with each other. We are to display these qualities by bearing with each other. It's easy to display the character of Christ toward those that we like. It's not as easy to display it to those who, who rub us the wrong way, the prickly people. But that is precisely what Paul instructs us to do here. So how do we do this? How do you bear with those who, who somehow rub you the wrong way? You do so by showing the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, and the patience of Christ. If you're able to develop these qualities by the power of the Spirit, you will be able to accept one another even though you don't naturally get along. And then lastly, in verse 14 to 16, Paul offers some insight into the results of obedience to this command. And it's just a command to forgive one another. Here we see the results of the command. Look at verse 14. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So in a sense, love does sum up all the above qualities. We've looked at compassion, we've looked at kindness, we've looked at humility, we've looked at uh, meekness and patience, where, where these qualities are embraced and where, where, where we are doing everything we can to pursue these qualities, the result is love. Love reigns. And when love reigns in the church, the church experiences, look there in the scripture, harmony, the church experiences the peace of Christ, and the church experiences thankfulness. So how do you know when a church is obeying this command to bear with one another? Well, the results are there. There's harmony, there's peace, and there is gratitude. There is thankfulness. And perhaps this sounds a little bit impossible. How are we to obey this command? Well, thankfully, we have all the resources we need to bear with each other because of Christ, as we've mentioned Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is writing here, and he says in verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body 
on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if you are a believer today, you have not only the example of Christ, but the power of Christ to follow this example. And by human standards, it seems foolish to, to bear with those who irritate you. But by gospel standards, it's very different from, from worldly standards. And the same Jesus who, who bore with sinners and who even forgave sinners when they sinned against him, he promises his people the power to bear with others, the power to forgive others. But that power is promised only to those who are, who are Christ, only those who are in Christ. And the question today we have to ask, are you in Christ? If you are not in Christ, the power you need to bear with one another is found in the gospel. Of your own strength, you will not be able to fulfill this command because you don't have the power to do that. The power is in the gospel. If you repent of your sins and if you embrace the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you can know of God's power to obey this command. And you can know of this peace. You can know of this harmony that this portion of Scripture describes. The last verse of our text, look at verse 16 back in Colossians. The scriptures say, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. We've already looked at this as we looked at the, the one another's when we are to be singing to each other. But as Christians, we are a word people. We, we, we speak God's word to each other. We sing God's word to each other. We have been brought to life ourselves by the, the living and the abiding word of God, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 1. And now we seek to bring that life to others through the, the word that we preach to others, the word of life, the gospel to others. And we not only speak this life-giving word, we, we teach it to each other, we admonish each other, we counsel each other with, with truth, we exhort, we comfort, we stir up, and we sing. That's why we take time to make sure the songs that we are singing are biblical. And as we've seen already, whether, whether we're in full-time ministry, whether we are leaders of the church, or whether we aren't. We are all stewards of this word that God has given to us. We are all stewards of God's life-giving word. We all have something to say. In our home groups last week, we discussed how we are to look for, for opportunities to encourage each other by taking some portion of God's word and applying it in a, in a way that that fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, as we, as we read in Ephesians chapter 4. We are people with the Bible always open on the table of our, of our hearts, ready to, to stir up each other to love and good works. A well-timed word does wonders for, for the soul. I know people often send me encouraging messages when I when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling discouraged. And I take the time to encourage others. 
We discussed that. We looked at that last week. So even as we laugh and, and as we, we talk and exchange small talk, there, there should be a, a current of intentionality that's, that's flowing through our conversations as we, as we try and exhort each other to love Christ. We know that God intends to use what we say to work wonders in, in each other's lives. We know there is power in the Word of God, not in our personalities, not in our experiences. There is power in the gospel. There is power in the Word. And that's why we speak that truth. That's why we hold on to that truth. We plant seeds. We trust the Lord to bring that seed to fruition. But being a speaking people, we also need to be a listening people. And there is no way that we are going to be teaching or encouraging or exhorting others with these life-giving words if the Word of God is not first and foremost dwelling in us. The Word is to be well-known amongst us. The Word of God needs to be dwelling in us. We need to have the Word of God washing our minds. The Word of God is to be the central thing in teaching us how we are to live. We looked at Sola Scriptura last month and how Scripture alone needs to be the foundation of our lives. Not our traditions, not our experiences, not the words of man. Scripture alone is sufficient for all that we need. And this book that the Lord has given to us, He's revealed truth. There is nothing, even remotely in this world, in its view of reality, in the way that it, it teaches us how to handle life. And are you taking advantage of the opportunities that, that God has given to you, even here at New Life Church, to, to grow in the knowledge and understanding of, of God's Word? Do you make home group a priority? Do you attend any of the, the book clubs? Do you, do you read your Bible? Are you, are you coming to church in order to be taught Remember, we're looking at the results here, the results of the command. And the picture is being painted for us here. The results of obeying this command is a fruitful church that functions for the glory of God alone. And notice how the whole body is to be involved in this. All of us are to teach each other. All of us are to admonish and counsel one another. Everybody in, in homes, in, in church, in classes, in, in Bible study groups, in prayer groups, we should gather about the Word of God. We ought to thoroughly know and understand the Scriptures. Jesus himself said, He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is not dead, lifeless truth. The Scriptures that we have here are alive, are eternal, they are vital, they are illuminating. The Scriptures dispel doubts, shines light on darkness, takes away our troubles and our fears. We are to center our lives around the Scriptures, the Word of God. The church is to be characterized by three P's. 
peace, praise, and precepts. Or if you prefer, three T's I read as well this week. Tranquility, thanksgiving, and teaching. As the apostle points out in verse 15, it begins with peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And we are called to this. Christians are called to live at peace with each other. We're going to hear much about that during Christmas time as well. But the word rule here is interesting, we see there. It's a word for, for act as an umpire. So cricket fans know that the man in front of the, the stumps with the, with the white hat, he, he's the one who, who makes the call, the umpire. He's supposed to remain calm. He's supposed to remain collected no matter, no matter what happens. You know, fast bowlers will, will scream at him, you know, for a possible LBW, and, and captains will disagree with him at a, at a certain call, and, and fans will probably even abuse the, the umpire. But the umpire is to remain calm. He's to remain at peace. And that's the idea here. Even though the world around us is going crazy, even though there's, there's so much disturbance and, and trouble around us, the calmness of Christ must be ruling our hearts. And the Christians here in this particular book, in the context of Colossians, they were being judged. The church was being judged by the, the Judaizers who, who wanted them to submit to, to their standard. Remember the Judaizers who were, who were following the law? They wanted the Christians to, to, to follow the circumcisions and follow all the, the Old Testament laws so that they would be good, and they were putting pressure on the, the, the church. And Paul tells them, Paul tells the Christians, he says, allow the peace that Christ brings to your heart to be the thing that decides if, if God loves you and accepts you or not. Not the things that you do. That doesn't bring joy. That doesn't bring peace. And he adds that everyone was called to experience this peace. And the sharing of this, this peace is the unique, the unique feature of those who are part of the body of Christ. Not circumcision, not the, the, the food laws or the slavish submission to certain teachers. That doesn't bring you peace. That just adds burden upon you. Be thankful that you have the peace of Christ in your heart. And this peace is the assurance, the judge that you belong to God. The peace of Christ will rule in our hearts and in our church when we are letting the word of God dwell in us richly. And maybe you have asked yourself, why are we doing the sermon? Why are these one another so important? Why did Paul, Peter, and James, and John stress these one another's? Or maybe for the same reason, Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, verse 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Why? Because by doing this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
We live in a world with its own set of one another's. You have one another brokenness. You have one another hatred. You have one another manipulation. You have one another selfishness. And the local church exists to show a different way of, of life, to show a different Lord of life. And this Lord, He reconciles us not only to Himself, but to each other, folks, to each other, creating a unique community, creating one another love out of selfish pain. And such communities that are totally in contradiction to the world, these communities all over the world, as they move out into the world, as they move out into parks and coffee shops and, and neighborhoods during the week, and as they invite outsiders to look at them and to notice the relationships that they, they live amongst each other, people will notice. People will notice this relational glory that the church, the faith family experiences, more so than they experience even in their own homes, more so than they even experience amongst their, their wives or their, their husbands, more so than they experience even in their families. Jesus is saying to us, by this, all people will know, folks. Not some people, all people will know. They will notice. And that's why these one another's are so important. Christians walking in the one another's not only have Christ's mind, we don't only offer His warm welcome to outsiders, we don't only speak His, his words of life to others, we don't only show His, his sacrificial love to a selfish world, but we give this grace this grace that people will not understand who do not know Christ. But above all, we advance the gospel. We advance the very mission that Christ has called us to. And as members of Christ's body, Romans 12 verse 5 tells us that each member belongs to all the others. We all belong to each other. We endure difficulties. We endure unpleasantries with one another because we are all one. We are part of the same whole. We bear with one another when we forgive each other, when we allow love to cover a multitude of sins. And when we reach out to a brother or a sister who is, who is caught in sin or struggling with temptation and, and we restore that person gently and in, and in love, And as we read today, in verse 15, only when we let the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts will we, will we be bearing with one another and living in unity as we are called to do as members of one body. So let's bear with one another, not, not just for the sake of, of others, but for, for God's glory. Let's bear with one another for our joy. And let's bear with one another for the sake of the witness 
of the gospel. Amen?